1 Samuel 7, verses 11 and 12. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bathkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shem and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. They had been here before. The children of Israel had 20 years earlier. It's the place where they pitched their tents for battle and went out against the Philistines twice, actually. The first time, 4,000 of the children of Israel were slain. They were defeated, humiliated. The second time, the sons of Eli decided that they would take the Ark of the Covenant, uh, being, I guess, a bit superstitious or maybe presumptuous. And when they uh, went out to battle, taking that Ark of the Covenant, they were defeated again, this time 30,000 slain. The sons of Eli were among those dead. And Eli himself, upon hearing the news that not that his sons had died, they were wicked, even though it would have no doubt impacted him, but he was stunned at the news that the ark of God had been captured by the Philistines. He was a heavy man, extraordinarily so, and he fell backward off his chair and, and broke his neck, and he died. Uh, furthermore, his daughter-in-law went into a labor, delivered a child, and died upon doing so, but had time to name him Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed. Well, the glory had really already departed. Just now the ark of God uh, was gone as well. After s seven months, the Philistines were plagued with the ark of the covenant being present, and so they sent it back to Israel. And it ended up in uh, Kirjath-Jerim and remained there for 20 years. 20 years they were content to have the ark of the covenant representative of the glory of God abiding at a distance. And it says in the Bible, in 1 Samuel, that they lamented or they cried aloud after the Lord. They, they, they were having a pity party, feeling sorry for themselves, and cried out to the Lord. But it does little good to cry out to the Lord if you're unwilling to change your ways. But eventually uh, Samuel uh, told them, here's what you need to do. You need to prove that you're going to return to the Lord, and you do so by preparing, by serving, and by putting away. Actually, in that wrong order, put away, prepare, and serve. And in simplified terms, that's the same formula for today. We say turn, the Bible says, turn from your sins, turn your back on sin, and turn your face toward God. That's evidence of preparation. Well, they did that. And they prayed and fasted. Uh, Samuel prayed for them, and the Lord heard him. But I dare say the Lord heard them as well. And so now, 20 years later, 20 years after that first attack in the um, same spot that would now be named, the uh, Philistines were coming to battle again. The Israelites saw that and cried out to God. The Lord helped them. Discomforted, as you heard, with thunder, they really had to do very little. God did it all. They just showed up, depended upon God, and, and God brought the victory. And so uh, now 
Samuel wanted to mark somehow a reminder of that victory. So in my imagination, I at least can visualize him asking, where shall we put this marker? How shall we represent what God has done? And then he decided, I know, let's put it right here at a place that we will name Ebenezer. And I can visualize those around him objecting and said, you can't put it here. Why, we lost 34,000 men 20, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, oh, we had two major defeats. Uh, 20 years ago, the Ark of the Covenant is taken. But uh, Samuel stepped back and said, that's right where we're going to put it. Because it's not evidence of defeat, it's evidence of how God helped us obtain a victory. And that's the way I feel about 2020. We've talked about, we want, we're, we're ready to, I know, let's cancel 2020. Everything's being canceled. Cancel 2020, but no. No, we're not going to do that a bit. Uh, we're not going to look back on 2020 and have it be marked a, a, a year of defeat. It's going to be a year of victory. Because halfway uh, through, which we can say at this point, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. We'll stand right there. So a number of years from now, if Jesus tarries, uh, 2020 will be remembered as the year God helped us. And that's the way uh, Samuel felt about that specific location. Well, this campground serves as a reminder as well. Every, every spiritual victory emerges from a low point. Many have gotten saved around these altars over the years or on this property over the last 100 years. In order to be saved, everyone reached a low point where they realized their desperate need of God. Well, we don't mark that low spot. We mark the point where God helped us, saved us, as we turn from our sins and toward God. God did that. It's hard uh, not to refer to my first uh, visit to Cap Meeting. Some... some uh, testify how that when they stepped on these grounds, they just felt the power of God and the, and the presence of the Lord. When I stepped on these grounds in 1974, I felt nervous. I was, I was a newcomer. I didn't know, uh, but very few. But God helped me. In time, they had me peeling onions. Don Morse uh, was active in the kitchen for many, many years. And that he put me in a little cabin back there with a a uh, sack full of onions and uh, had me peeling them. I didn't do very good uh, because I would, I would peel and then I'd have to run outside and try to get my eyes clear. I don't know how many onions I, I peeled that day, but um, he didn't ask me to peel them again. So um, that, that's the way it went. But, uh, you know, my, my exposure here at that point, I was a first generation uh, comer to, the, to this campground. Debbie's was so different. Why They came every year living in Medford until she was in junior high school, uh, coming up uh, from Medford with her parents and her uh, seven siblings. At times they sang on, on this platform. Uh, her, her grandparents on both sides of the family were here. She had aunts and uncles and the cousins, literally by the dozens, I think, here. Why, uh, what, what, a, what a contrast. But, you know, I, I kept coming. That first year, Brother Jack Chastine, I don't know if he 
got permission from Brother Marty, Gerard, uh, or not, I assume he did, because Brother Jack's always been an upright man since birth. But uh, he, he said I needed to sing in the choir, but I, I didn't have a tie. You're supposed to wear a tie and a jacket. I, I don't remember. I didn't have a jacket either. I don't recall what I did about that, but I didn't know how to even tie a tie. So Brother Jack taught me how to tie a tie, and, and uh, they stuck me up there somewhere, and I mouthed the words and escaped without notice. But uh, over time, uh, then I, I met Debbie. I'd actually met her before Cat Mina, having attended the Dallas church. And uh, she fell madly in love with me. How could she resist me? <laughs> so we got married a couple of years after I saved. And, uh, you know, we can mark spots on this campground. Debbie, uh, before moving to Dallas, she came to the altar of prayer uh, seeking God's will. She had asked Brother Carver, should she, should she go? And he said, well, you want to be careful because there's great excitement when you move from one branch church to, the, to another branch church, but great disappointment when you move back where you came from. So he told her to pray about it. She did, and the power of God came down, and she received her baptism, praying about whether or not to move. Well, she moved. And a couple of years later, I showed up. We, we were married in time. And uh, around uh, in, in those years, not, not long, uh, speaking of markers, not long after I was married, Debbie and I were married, or maybe, maybe within a year or so anyway, my dad, uh, there's a marker here for my dad, he got saved here. In February, would have been 1975, there was a, a film shown, as I recall, The Thief in, uh, in the Night. Well, Dad prayed that day, he'd been praying, but that day he got saved. Our daughter was born uh, a couple of years after we got married. Children's Church next door in the activity center, we call it now, we call it West Chapel then, it's a multi purpose room. Uh, now, anyway, uh, she at, at age uh, five, almost six, I have the date written down, but I won't uh, look at it. Uh, she prayed and God saved her. I told her, uh, you should go back. And uh, Randy was taking a nap. He was four in the cabin. So Debbie was watching him. And so I, I still recall her skipping uh, down the pathway for her to go uh, tell Debbie that she had gotten saved. So the, the value of the grounds, and truly the grounds are sanctified by the consecrated prayers of hundreds, thousands over the years, but uh, the campground saves nobody. Jesus saves. So we don't worship the campground. We worship Jesus. That's why uh, the, the words on the face of the tabernacle are Jesus, the light of the world. We don't want anything uh, to distract from that message that it's Jesus. Well, we look, we, we look back, but we really do look forward. History is, is necessary to provide context uh, for the future. The Bible begins with some history. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's history. It's also fact. But the book uh, isn't designed to disclose world history. It's designed to disclose God's plan of redemption, that from a man's uh, failure, 
emerged a Savior, and that's Jesus. That's what happens when we testify. We heard Sister Jane testify and provide some history. But it provides a foundation for the future. And by design, we look back to her parents and grandparents, but we look forward as we see her children and her grandchildren and pray that they are faithful as she has been. And it's very personal. We, we pray as parents and grandparents that our uh, children and grandchildren will not only embrace the way, but stick with it. As we look back, what do we see? Well, in, in the history, we see uh, the Roaring Twenties. We see the Great Depression of the Thirties, World War of the Forties, Korea of the Fifties, and Vietnam of the Sixties, and upheaval uh, every decade as we uh, go from one crisis to another in the human race. And the, the, the remedy that human beings tend to uh, look for is to simply address the symptoms rather than the underlying condition. And the underlying condition is carnality. You read about that in Sister Antonia's article. She draws clear distinctions, and I have had many conversations with her over the last five years or more on, on the subject. Uh, but the, the solution is found in redemption, the blood of Jesus. You can solve every, every societal problem in the world, but if you're left a sinner, what have you gained? You just go out to a lost eternity, a more noble sinner. So when we look back over the decades, we see periods of revival here and there. We see periods where a revival seemed to be lacking. But I think those are misnomers because some who were saved during revivals did not stick with it, while others in periods of time where revivals were or appeared to be lacking, some got saved and have stuck with it. A revival doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves and he saves whosoever will at any time of day or night and in any year. So what do you, what do you see when you look forward? Well, Sister Jane quoted, paraphrased Ecclesiastes 1.9, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. And it goes on as he laments vanity and vanity. So when we look forward, we see the same thing that we see when we look back. Just more upheaval, more unrest, world events going, and, and uh, some uh, periods of maybe a spark of, of revival and other uh, periods where it seems to be lacking. But during those revival times, some will embrace the gospel and stick with it. Others will fall by the wayside. During those times where it appears to be lacking, some will get saved and they'll stick with it. Stick with it. Don't be, don't be distracted. If we feel like Sister Crawford and the saints of God felt in 1920, praise ye the Lord. Hitherto hath the Lord brought us. We mark this year. We mark this spot, perhaps. There's other spots uh, not in Portland that I could mark and tell you of, but I won't. But we see victory when we look forward. We see that the human race, enslaved by sin, can find deliverance if they call upon the name of the Lord. Well, there's the past, and there's certainly the future, 
but there's here and now. And that's where the Lord always operates. Here and now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Like Psalm 121, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He's he's lifting up his eyes now and says, My help comes now. You will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. When you're taking a nap, the Lord isn't. When you're sound asleep, the Lord's wide awake. When you're awake and find yourself in need and whisper a prayer, the Lord is there to help you and to put a marker down wherever you happen to be in that time of need. The Lord helps us every day. He, he woke us up. And we're still awake, I hope. He gives us our, our, well, He gave us our last breath and our current breath. We have no guarantee of the next breath. But he, he holds our breath in His hands. That's where we want it to be. So matter, no matter where your location or your circumstances, God is here now to help. On one hand, I would like to bring everyone here to the tabernacle. But more importantly, as we, we send everyone to a hill called Mount Calvary, where you kneel, where we kneel, at the foot of the cross, and call upon God for help, and find that there is grace to help in time of need. May the Lord help us to carry on with an optimistic view of the rest of this day and the rest of the year, if Jesus tarries that long, and to give him thanks for being the great God he is.